David, it seems like my trips to Louisiana have always been either in the fall uh, or what I guess I should, I would consider probably winter. Uh, we've had good days with extreme cold and days where my head was toasted because of the hot sun, all in those different types of, uh, on those different times of the year. But we right. haven't made a, we haven't made a spring or summer, summer trip. So I think I want to start there with spring and summer. So, so let's talk about the angler who is traveling. For an angler traveling to the marsh during the spring and the summer, what should they expect whenever they're hunting wet redfish and the things that swim around in the marsh? Yeah, for sure. You know, a lot of times in the um, in the spring, we're fishing more interior marsh, more slot size fish. You know that you know a couple pounds to seven, eight, nine, ten pound fish. Uh, typically, a little bit closer in because at that point we're not fishing quite as far in the exterior marsh because. Uh, after the wintertime, the big bull reds start to push out of the marsh. You know, it depends on how early in the spring you're here. There, There's usually, you know, if it's, you know, early, early March, uh, maybe to mid-March, there may be some bulls still around. But typically in the spring and early summer, I fish a lot of interior ponds with, uh, you know, typically eight-weight stuff, you know, 20-pound leaders just because you can. Not that it's necessary always to have 20, but, yeah, 20-pound leaders, that's good. Some ponds will have more grass. Some, some ponds have less grass. So I fish a you know, like a redfish crack or a crackling or, you know, there's several different names for the same flies. They're all pretty generic. Uh, a lot of times you'll fish some with bead chain if there's a little more grass because you don't want it to sink quite as fast. And then sometimes you fish the same fly, you know, with a, with a lead eye. But, you know, the spring and summer uh, can be pretty good. The early spring into early summer is probably the better as you get into later summer. It kind of transitions to a different little, little different fishery. So for sure. So explain a pond to the listeners out there that maybe they haven't been down there and explain what you okay. mean by a pond. Yeah. So when you leave the launches that we launch from, most of them are close to the interior marsh. And so it's going to be a tighter, more, you know, a little broken marsh. You have little bayous and stuff that run through there, uh, but little pockets, little open pockets that maybe have one entrance, you know, one way to get in and one way to get out. Uh, kind of a semicircle with just a small opening a pond. There may be, a bayou that runs through and there's two or three ponds kind of along the bayou where you pop through pond to pond to pond as you're running down this bayou. But yeah, just kind of an open area in the marsh that could be, you know, just wide enough to get your boat in there just to fish for a few minutes and just spin it around. Or it could be, you know, several acres that could take you, you know, 20, 30 minutes to pull around it. So. Right. Okay. And I've been in both of those, the small ones, you have to be a little more stealth. I guess you have to be stealth the whole time. Let's, let's, say for what it is especially if the water's clear but the smaller ones you you have it seems like you have less chance of a mistake because there may be a you know some fish in there and and uh or there may be one fish in there you know right, but the, right. the bigger ones that feels like you can just you know circle them as long as you can get the boat across some of the the bars there and you you know you can you can spend a little bit more time in there so Spring and summer actually sounds like it would be a lot of fun. Maybe the fish aren't always as big as what they might be later in the year. But other than it being hot in the summer, I'm sure it gets hot down there like it does here in Tennessee and enough humidity to, to keep you nice and wet and all that. But <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it, sure. it sounds like it might be a, a cool trip to run down there and do. And then, you know, maybe you wouldn't have to go out quite as far, I guess. Is that fair? Yeah, typically, you know, in the in the spring, early summer, not making quite as long runs. Sometimes it still can be a longer run, but not not too bad. You know, I would say, you know, the spring fishing I would consider early March to uh, first part of May. I tell people sometimes we have two seasons here, hot and hotter. It's kind of hard to to figure out sometimes when when winter ends and when spring ends and we get into summer because it sometimes it's like it goes from kind of cool to all of a sudden it's just kind of hot. But I would say. Uh, you know, early March uh, till early May, you know, there's always something to do. There's festivals, there's Mardi Gras end of February, depending on when it falls, maybe late January, end of, beginning of February. Uh, but as you get on into that, there's festivals and stuff, you know, that are here going on in the city. Uh, you got Jazz Fest the last weekend of April, first weekend of May. So if you're into music, that's mm. something cool. Maybe schedule a trip around that. So it's always the last weekend of April, first weekend of May. It's kind of two weekends of, of the of jazz fest. If somebody's interested in that kind of, I wind up usually missing all of jazz fest because I've got people that flip flop and all that, but yeah, it's a good time to fish. 
Yeah, that's a, I would love to come down actually for Jazz Fest. Now we've been, I, I, I'll say that after we do this show intro here, I'll, uh, I'll tell you about our last experience. The last time we were down there, and I think I, I think I fished with you. Uh, but okay, anyway, yeah. let's go ahead and let's go ahead and uh, kick the show off. So, from high atop the world headquarters of Southeastern Fly, this is the Southeastern Fly podcast. Subscribe or follow wherever you listen to podcasts. If you find value in the podcast in this episode, for sure, and want to give back, drop by the Southeastern Fly store. Simply just then, just simply make a purchase of a hat or a t-shirt and get a free decal too. That's what supports the podcast and the work we do here. And for the folks that have um, already made their purchases, we really appreciate that. And I've met some fine folks, text back and forth, you know, on Facebook and on text and on email and some by phone and just really appreciate you folks out there that are listening and, and kind of spurred us along with a with a good drop of a good good thought or uh, a nice word. And and as always, a purchase is, is what keeps us in there. So who is our guest today? He's a full-time guide in southern Louisiana. He pulls a skiff day in, day out, year-round. D- does it through all kinds of weather. He knows the marsh, and I fish with him for redfish and black drum. He's easygoing, which is what I like. He doesn't get too upset about anything. He's got a ton of knowledge. He's also a co-host for the Redfish Podcast. He's the owner of Southern Fly. He hails from the area of New Orleans. Please welcome to the podcast, Captain Dave Best. Dave, thanks for stopping by. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me, Dave. It's great to be here, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah. So, yeah, we probably, I mean, we spent a couple of days on the boat back in, uh, I guess it was at, uh, I guess it was this this year, actually, in February, maybe, whenever Mardi Gras was uh, this past year, or this particular year, the 23, 2023, I guess I should say. That's when we were there right at that time, and we didn't realize that the ferry down by Woodland was was shut down, <laughs> but right. we we man, yeah we managed to drive all the way down there and take a look, and we we were sure of it that it was because it, we we got the guy off of it and said, "Hey, what's going on?" He said, "It's not running anymore. That the, that ferry's oh, yeah. back upstream." So we had to we had to turn around and go back upstream, but not before all those little towns along the river there uh-huh. were absolutely booming. And I was like, what is going on? Because we've been down there and <laughs> nothing happens down there. I don't know where that's all these people. Yeah. No. So we, you know, and then I saw the beads in the middle of the road of that, that, uh, right outside, right in that town where the ferry is. And I can't think of the name of the ferry right now, but, but anyway, I saw all the beads. And I said, let's be getting close to Mardi Gras. So we turned around and went back. And by the time we got back up to the ferry that was a little closer to the, to the city, uh-huh. there was a line that was i don't know i think we were the 30th car or something crazy like that <laughs> and man people were partying they were all headed into the city for, for oh yeah for, for uh mardi gras uh and there were floats going by it was it's a big party down there oh but, yeah man and then then we were sitting in the line just about ready to go up there and if you got kids you might want to turn this off i don't know but there was a lady She's probably in her thirties, it looked like. And she had on a pair of blue jeans, but she had a pair of underwear on the outside of her blue jeans for some reason. I'm not sure what that was all about. I don't know if that's <laughs> good, bad, indifferent, or what it is, but that was the atmosphere. Uh so oh, we yeah. got on the we got we drove on the ferry, rode across the, the river, and went down uh to the middle of nowhere where I'd rather stay. And mm-hmm. uh and didn't see that again. Never saw never saw any of it again. The food was fantastic. Uh, it's just, you know, it's the way it should be for me anyway. I mean, a lot of, a lot right. of folks like that party atmosphere. And like you said, I would like to go to jazz fest just for the music, but, but anyway, that's, uh, that's my, my one experience with Mardi Gras. I didn't, I, that's all I saw. And I was like, okay, that's enough for David. I'm not sure I need to <laughs> experience that stuff, but yeah, it just depends on kind of where you, where you end up during Mardi Gras. Y'all probably went down to the point of the hash ferry and it's been down for a while, washed yeah. out the landing, yeah. washed out. So yeah, that's been kind of a. A nightmare that usually comes into play spring and early summer. You know, if I'm down on the west side or got people staying down there, a mm. lot of times we'll ferry across and fish the east side, or you know, sometimes it just depends on what's going on. So y'all probably wind up back up around Bell Chase or Shelby yeah. at one of the probably some yeah. parades going on. So yeah, Bell Chase, that's where it was. Yeah, yep. yep, yep, that's where we went back up to. And there were some parades and some other stuff going on too. So <laughs> I guess, <laughs> but anyway, anyway, that's my one and only Mardi Gras story. So. 
Like I said, some of my trips, Dave, they've been in the fall, but but my sure. I guess probably, and I'm going to say fall here is early December for me. Uh, so let, let's call that. But I want to talk about the heart of fall season, like the time to be there. So again, for the traveling angler head, heading to the marsh during the fall, the prime redfish season, what should what should somebody expect then? Yeah, for sure. So we're kind of like right now, we're kind of, it's, uh, I don't know what today is, September the 12th, the day after September 11th. So yeah, that was all over everywhere yesterday, just remembering that. But uh, but yeah, as we get into, um, you know, I guess we kind of figure October, November, early December is our fall, uh, because it really doesn't cool down here until, you know, we'll get a little cool front around Halloween, and then another one around Thanksgiving, but it really doesn't cool down until you get on into like the early December and so, yeah, I would, I would say that's a good explanation. October, November, early December being fall, and then after that, getting on into the wintertime. So, yeah, you know, that time of year, it's still a little bit transitionary. Uh, so these bull reds that a lot of people want to fish for in the fall, sometimes they're more toward out the edge of the gulf, uh, depending if it has cooled off or not or whatever. Uh, if the bait hadn't moved in as much, sometimes they may be along the edges of the, the gulf on the beaches and stuff like that where you can still get into schools of bull reds and a few jacks along the way. And so we've kind of been doing – you know, that's kind of the pattern we're in right now as we start into fall. Definitely been seeing schools of bull reds and some schools of jacks and mixed in and stuff like that. And, and, uh, but yeah, so typically this, that time of year in the fall, you know, we're, um, sometimes you have a little bit higher water level. So it's nice when you, you know, have some, some moving water. I, lo- I love a falling tide, but as long as you have some moving water, uh, you can usually do pretty good. Uh, you know, I typically fish, you know, nine or 10 weight rods, uh, in the fall. Uh, because you still may run across a, a jack. A 10 weight is uh, definitely nice to have. That way you're not trying to switch rods from a 9 to a 10. Um, you know, sometimes I'll have an 11 in the boat if I've, like right now, I think I have an 11 in the boat just because I, I had it and I put it in there because you do see some big jacks. And like, if you know, if you just see in jacks and you, you know you're going to get into those, then 11 is good. But typically 9 weight, 10 weight, you know, all floating line. I use a little bit uh, – uh, a shorter, like a, a Gulf redfish line is the, the line I've been fishing. It's a shorter, more compact head for throwing, uh, you know, bigger flies, flipping them over. Uh, and I typically fish a 30 pound leader in the fall for, you know, primarily targeting redfish. If I've got a rod rigged up just for fishing jacks, and I know we've been seeing jacks and I'm fishing those, uh, I usually will fish like a straight 50. And I know there's going to be people say, oh, dude, why are you fishing straight 50? Are you about to have a, you need to have a, you know, whatever, man. I get it, I, you know, but if it's straight 50, you don't have to worry about the fish cutting you off or if there's a school of them. You know, they got some pretty hard places on their bodies. They'll crash into the line. Fish kind of going everywhere. But, uh, but yeah, pretty much 30 pounds for a redfish. And uh, if I got just something just for jacks, like a piece of 50, uh, nothing super crazy, but yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, there's some pretty good sized jacks that come in down there. I've seen. Uh, oh yeah, I, we get. I some, haven't caught any of the bigger ones, but yeah, I don't, yeah, we get uh, some bigger. It's amazing what comes in and out of that marsh. We, we saw a, I guess it was a gar of some kind, alligator gar, something uh, like that. Probably alligator gar. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was probably nine foot long, eight or nine <laughs> foot. It was huge. It had. It was well over a hundred pounds. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's some there's some monsters. We caught a a pretty good one the other day. It's probably forty pounds, not that big, but yeah. The guy saw it. He's like, "Can I cast?" It? I was like, "Yeah, dude, I don't care, cast at it." <laughs> and you most of the time you hook up. Every now and then you'll get one to the boat, but a lot of times they they come unbutton unless you get them right in the corner of the mouth. Your mouth's really hard, really bony, toothy. But uh, yeah, we got that one to the boat. Got a couple pictures, and you know, you just got to be careful they don't smack it with those teeth or whatever. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I did. It came by, and I thought that's that's got to be a piece of trash or a submarine or something. <laughs> Uh, but it wasn't. It was. It was one. It was. It was big. It was really big. Uh, can't remember if I was fishing with my friend Greg or Anthony. I can't remember which one I was on the boat with that day. But yeah, it was an interesting. Uh, it, just, just all kinds of cool stuff going on down there in the marsh. We saw a mm-hmm. coyote, coyote crossing the marsh one time swimming. We've seen uh, what are those rats called? Uh, Nutria. Nutria. Yeah. Saw a bunch. Yeah. We've seen a bunch of those down there. Mm-hmm. crash pandas all kinds of stuff down there so oh yeah for sure it's a it's a great place to be but i need to come down in in the heart of fall so when we we came down for i guess that that early december which will be late late fall uh it was a great trip too don't get me wrong it really was we caught a bunch of fish caught some really 
big fish too. But we also we found ourselves. I found us back in uh, the back of some of the places just inside the Gulf. Uh, right. There were a lot of smaller fish in there, which are fun. I mean, don't we all love the picture? Don't get me wrong. Everybody wants the picture, right? Of them. Right. Oh yeah, for huge. sure. And I enjoy for that sure. too. But it's it's nice to be able to pick out a fish out of a school or a, you know a, a pocket of small smaller fish and catch it too there's a there's some skill involved there there's there's uh i don't know it's 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 a good feeling whenever you say i'm going to try to catch that particular fish and you catch it you know you, you throw the right cast you drop the fly in there it falls in front and if you can get it in front of a red fish a lot of times they'll eat they're not to me they're not picky like maybe a trout might be a trout might be picky and want this or that it seems like if you can put the fly in the right place, most of the time it's going to eat. Not always. And I've seen some times where they they kind of refuse it and just kind of slither off, you know. And and I I don't want to say that they're the easiest because they're certainly not, but they do tend sure. to want to eat. Even in cold, cold, we were there um, a couple of years ago, I guess, and it was it was. I, I think I had on five layers. Uh, yeah it was yeah, bad man, it can cold. be it can be chilly you know the, the humidity is what's the killer here yeah. it, may, it may not be that cold outside but when it's, it's always wet humid cold so yeah that's a great point to bring up like if you're coming down here in the fall like always bring some layers like you know Absolutely. maybe a, uh you know something real thin as the base layer then you can kind of stack on top of that those puffy jackets and breathable shirts and all you know all the whole the stuff you have but yeah definitely bring some layers yeah and and be ready to go out i mean i it, it, I guess it was probably in the 40s, Dave, that, that uh-huh. the last time that we were there in the, it might have been February, uh, probably January that year. Feels like it was gotcha. January anyway. And and we fished anyway. I mean, it wasn't uh-huh. the, yeah, the, oh, guy, yeah, for sure. the guy that we were using, he wasn't really in a big hurry to get out there. And I was like, come on, dude, we got to get going. He said, <laughs> you know, reason to go out there that fast. Let the sun get up and warm them up. Oh, yeah. Bit. And the first one I caught, I mean, it was like pulling in a log. I don't even know why the heck the fish ate, but he did. And he fought maybe for 30 seconds. And then he just kind of swam around out there like, let me go. It's cold. Can't you see it's cold? But <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. That that fall fishing, usually that you don't have to usually deal with quite as, as cold a water as you do once you get on into the winter, which is, you know, probably considered, you know, late December, you know, January, February. That's that's when we get the, the cold weather. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, but yeah, fall is a great time to come. You know, whether you want to stay in the city and enjoy the nightlife, you know, go out, hear some music, go to dinner in the city. Some really great restaurants, some of the classic restaurants that are you know been there for a long, long time. Uh, you know, some people stay at. You know, there's a few different lodges that I that I work with. Some on the east side of the river, some on the west side of the river. Uh, that that you know will be more than happy to accommodate you. So you know, if you're listening to this, or you know, get in touch with me through David, or you know, get in touch with me. I'll be glad to run you down on all that kind of stuff, like what's going on and, and where to stay and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's important where you stay. I mean, it's it's especially if you're going down for for four or five days that you get oh yeah the experience, but you also don't want to end up in a in a rest, restaurant down there that's not good because yep, there's so sure. many good ones you don't want to choose wrong. So to me, it's always mm-hmm. kind of good to have like a little tour guide or something like oh, that. Yeah, stay in a place sure. that's that you know is going to serve foods, but right food, right. But, Let's take a time out here for an ad, and we'll be right back. Jordan Red at Red's Flies is a listener and a friend of the Southeastern Fly Podcast. Jordan's patterns are tested extensively here in the Southeast and work all around the country. Testing each pattern ensures you have the best opportunity to increase your catch rate while you're on the water. Red's Flies carries hundreds of patterns, including standard nymphs and Euro nymphs, tailwater and freestone dry flies, and a very nice assortment of streamer patterns. Red's Flies is a small family-owned business, and they give back to the community by donating 10% of their profits to the Chattahoochee River Keepers, Trout Unlimited, Bonefish Tarpon Trust, and other conservation organizations who support our southern waters. Go to www.redsflies.com and spell reds with two Ds. Remember, they offer free shipping on orders of $50 or more. And if you enter the code S-E-F-L-Y at checkout, you'll receive an additional 15% off your order. That's redsflies.com and tell them you heard it on the Southeastern Five podcast. 
So like I said, Dave, most of my trips have been in the winter. And like I said, I've been extremely cold on the water one day and log sleeve t-shirts the next day. But I want to move more into the winter fishing for redfish. So again, let's let's kind of keep on track here with the traveling angler. Because most of the folks that live down there have pretty good experience. A lot of folks have boats that live down there that fly fish. So this is more for the traveling angler. Somebody that lives in hopefully in the southeast where, you know, this is called southeastern fly. So that's what we hope our audience is more of, most of. But we'll take some other folks from outside the southeast. But uh, And you can have fun in the marsh, too. It doesn't matter where you're from. It, but it is a blast. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, right. so heading in the marsh during the winter, what should they expect then? Yeah, depending on when you're here, like I said, winter being, you know, on, in, on into December, mid mid to late December, January, February, definitely going to be colder. Now, there's going to be some days when you leave the dock and it's like 48, 49 degrees. It's pretty chilly. You know, you got pretty much everything you brought on. And by the time you are on your last couple spots in the day, you may be like down to, you know, just a shirt and a pair of light pants because it can get up into the 60s, you know, 65, swing like that, the wind lays down and you know, it can be really, really nice. And so when in the wintertime, if the water gets cold, you're talking earlier about those cold fronts that come through. When you get those hard cold fronts, you do want it to warm up because that brings the, the water temperature up on those flats. And that's when those big fish will come out of those deeper channels and slide up on those flats and, and get a little more active and give you some shots. And yeah, you know, they'll usually pretty willing to take a fly, especially in the, you know, most any time during the year. You know, sometimes if they're in the winter, if it gets really, really, really cold, I know you mentioned earlier about you know, your guide not being in a super hurry. Yeah, because if it's in like 45 right in there, first thing in the morning, I'm like, yeah, let's let it warm up a little bit. Uh, but the only thing you have to worry about here in the wintertime, the days are so short. You know, your kind of window of good light is, uh, you know, it's not real long. So, you know, once you get to about 2.30, it doesn't matter what time you launch in the morning. But once you get to about 2.30, 3 o'clock, it really, really, you start to get those long shadows and it gets really hard to see because, you know, even though the water will be cleaner typically in the winter because, you know, it's just simple physics or chemistry or whatever it is, you know, the molecule, the particles of, of dirt that are in the water become more dense. So they fall out of the water column better in the winter. So that's why the water's cleaner in the winter. And, uh, you know, so it's easier to see the fish, but still, uh, you know, sometimes you have a little, a little tent to the water. And so it's, it is that sun starts getting on down. It, it, it makes it hard to see them as well. So. I have not thought about that, but you're right. It, it does seem like the water's a little clearer. And, and I'm going to back up to your point of them sliding, the fish sliding out of the canals and channels up onto the flats. We, uh, the first year we were down there, uh, we were coming back in. We had had a slow day. We had, we had caught some fish, but it was it was slow. Uh, yeah. And the guy said, "We, you know, I'm go ahead and. Uh, get ready we're going to try one more little pocket and it was a little flat about the width of three skiffs and about as <laughs> yeah there was nothing to this I'm, I, i've seen this yeah, oh yeah for sure. same thing a hundred times all day long it looked the same to me and he drove right up in there he said cast right in the back right in the very back and i did it, it caught a fish right off the bat and i was with a friend of mine donnie and uh we both caught i think we both caught two or three fish out of there just sure. i mean and there was nothing there's absolutely no reason for me not to pass by if i'd have been in my own boat <laughs> i'd have passed right by it because it looked the same as everything else but yeah sometimes when you y'all start going ahead. It, it it was uh i guess it was just there was something about that flat and he just happened to see him in there one day and he said i could come back here next week as long as the tide is like it is now and the you know the the sun is like it is now. I can come back and catch fish right here again in about a week. Probably he's yeah, probably could come back in a couple of days, but you know I rested a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Now that's definitely one thing about the way the fishing is here. You know, there's so much water, but there's so much water that doesn't hold fish. So people today say, Dave, man, how'd you find this spot? I was like, Well, just came from like days and days and days and so searching around because you will in the wintertime, you'll have some of those days where it's real cold in the morning and it may be slow fishing. Um, but by the end of the day, you know, one, you know, 1231 o'clock, you're getting on thinking, okay, man, we're running out of time, but the water temperatures is coming up and they, that last little bit, sometimes they get real active and you can, uh, you know, have a day saver there the last couple of hours. And so that sounds like what y'all had, but yeah, it's, had. It's some of those places you're like, okay, here we go again. This looks like all the other 50 places we fished the rest of the day. So we're probably not going to do any good. We'll just 
hit this and then roll on in. Next thing you know, you come out there with three or four fish. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a, that's a swing in the day, man. That's that's the difference in an okay day and a really, really good day. Yeah. So Yeah, and it was right before we went. The mosquitoes, though, were so thick that because it was getting oh yeah start light was getting a little long and i mean the guy that put on a, like a light color rain jacket and rain pants because they were starting to eat us up and i mean you could look ahead little little spots all over him where these mosquitoes were just hanging on him you know it was yeah probably and probably some of those gnats too is with those little yeah. those little black gnats man those things will eat you up so yeah yes. you're coming in the in the winter time or whenever you know, I'll usually always have some bug spray and stuff like that. But that's the thing about the, the fall and the winter. If you have days where it gets warmed up and then the wind goes flat, be prepared to put the bug spray on because those gnats and, and some places mosquitoes, they will eat you up. But yeah, that's yeah it's usually bearable if you're catching a few fish. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was okay. He wasn't really thrilled about having to sit in there and wait for us to make a cast <laughs> in there. But I was, yeah. but he, he was, he was a good sport about it. He's a good dude. So mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't uh wintertime, I I really enjoy it. I I enjoy it down there anytime. Uh, you know, like we sneak in, sneak out, but it's mm-hmm. still I really do enjoy those times that we can get in there. There's not a ton of people down there. And even if there is, I don't I've seen a, a you know, where the the lodge is full and there's a mm-hmm. bunch of boats and trailers in the parking lot. But once you get out there, you can kind of get off on your own unless somebody decides they want to give you a little hint of like, Hey, there's a, and I'm going to call it a hatch. Uh, and, and, uh, that we found that last year when we were all down there, I don't remember what kind of worm it was, but the worm hatch was going, there was a worm hatch going on when we were fishing with Anthony and uh, all those black drummer on top of the water. I don't know if you remember that or not. Oh yeah. Sometimes you'll get like a, yeah, some like uh, oyster worms or yeah, you know, different kind of little worms. Yes, yeah, yes, and you'll, yes. you will. Yeah, you'll you'll get. Um, you know, I haven't, I've seen it some. You'll see it a ton, but yeah, you do see it some for sure. Yeah, and you'll, they'll just be out there, just gulping those things, just left and right, and yeah, for sure. Yeah, Absolutely. That that day, I don't know if you remember, but that day we we found one bay that was clean, a pretty big one that was clean, and caught some fish. But I regret. Uh, whenever we found them and we caught a couple of black drum, I regret not throwing some type of dry fly in there, uh, for them <laughs> things to eat on top. That would have been the greatest story ever, but I mean, right. we, we got in and caught a couple and got out. But anyway, <laughs> so but yeah. And in, and in the winter time, you know, I'm kind of, you know, fall and winter, I'm pretty much fishing the same stuff, nine or 10 weight rods, 30 pound, same deal with that. Um, uh, you know, pretty simple on leaders. It, it, a lot of times I wind up fishing a pretty short leader because, Sometimes you're so close to these fish, you want something to turn over really easy. Uh, you know, and I didn't really go a whole lot into like what kind of flies I fish. I fish pretty much just a bait style, bait fish pattern that's you know three, four inches long, pretty much uh, a medium to heavy lead eye or a medium to large lead eye. So a lot of times you want it to, to hit the water and get right down in front of their face because sometimes you know you won't see those fish till the last minute or they won't give you long. So you want that fly to get in there and people are like, oh, what if it plunks down? I was like, don't worry about it. Sometimes yeah. they just they just <laughs> gobble it. Sometimes they will blow out, and then that's that. What's when that happens? You're like, it's really hard sometimes to talk people into putting the fly right back on their on their nose. But that's what you have to do. You got to be quick. Put it on their nose. Keep that thing moving. And if they're going to eat it, they're going to eat it. So, I'll 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 tell the, the folks that that haven't been there. If you've been down there, you've seen this. If you haven't been down there, you will experience it. If you want to fish your own flies which I, I can fish my own and I can not fish them. It, it doesn't matter unless I decide I want to, I've got a pattern that I really want to fish. The first thing they're going to do is look in your box and they're going to start weighing these flies out, <laughs> seeing which one's the heaviest. Yeah. And they're generally yeah. going to pick one unless it's just obscene, you know, obese, yeah, unless sure. it's obese fly with, you know, 10 pound dumbbells on it. They're going to pick something that you're thinking is going to be too heavy. And I assure you it's not. Uh, right, right. It's almost oh, like yeah. you can get too heavy, but it's hard to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. And and I've started, you know, going down in size too, as far as the amount of material that I'm tying on these things now. Sure. I'm getting less and less material. It doesn't sell my buddies that much. They'll look at it and kind of poo poo it pretty quick. But it seems like the faster it gets down and just needs to have something sticking up to grab their attention, and they're going to eat it if you get it in the right spot. If they're eating that day, if not, then you know you can. You can throw a box full of fly tire materials at them, and they're not going to yeah. eat it. But yeah, for sure. 
but it seems like this doesn't take a lot and you just want to get it in front of their face and get some movement on it at the right time mm-hmm. and they'll come. Yeah. It's like the other day I had a buddy of mine who was, I forget. I told him at some point, probably two years ago, I'd tie him some flies. Of course I just put it off, put it off, put it off. He's a guide <laughs> as well. So we're, you know, we're always, I enjoy the process of tying a fly or tying flies, but like when you have stuff going on, you drag everything out and like, you have to get in a rhythm. And by the time you kind of get in a rhythm, it's like, okay, man, it's time to go to bed. And then you need to put everything up because I don't really have a dedicated fly tying desk, like a room really. So it's always on the dining room table or on the coffee table in the living room. My wife's like, uh, be great if you put that up. But no, she's great. She doesn't know <laughs> much about any of that. But uh, but yeah, so but I tied up some flies and I was on the phone actually when I was tying some. I was like, man, this thing looks terrible. I saw it the next morning. He's like, dude, what's wrong with these flies? I said, well, look, there's five of them. And they all look a little bit, they're all the same pattern. But like, as I started, one's got a lot of material, the next one a little less, the next one a little less. And by the time I get to the fifth one, there's not. And he's like, dude, you know, official eat any of those. And it's true. They all eat any of them. So, yeah. 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 Actually, I guess you could probably think about it. You tie a little less material, you can get more flies out of there too. But That's right. That's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so, I guess, so we've been through the different seasons. So, we started out in spring mm-hmm. and summer. Then we went to fall, chasing the bull reds. Then winter when it's cold. And I think that, I guess I've been through a lot, a lot of the different seasons too, fishing for these things. But I think that hopefully that just that information starts opening up a horizon for other folks who might be considering coming down there to fish and gives sure. them some detailed info so that they can, you know, start building their, their trips up too, uh, to come down there. But I know also that there are some conservation issues, and I can't really say that it's any slower down there. There's more fish, less fish than when I first started coming. But I know that everybody's talking about maybe there's uh, maybe the population of redfish isn't quite as healthy as what it was 10, mm-hmm. 12, 15 years ago. So I know that you're you're uh, one of the co-hosts for the Redfish podcast, and I know y'all been doing some work down there with the different departments what are some of the things that uh, are going on down there now? And what are the things, some of the things that they can look, folks can look forward to on the up, your upcoming episodes? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be glad to share some of that. Thanks for asking. Yeah. You know, that's one of the things that people, uh, guides, people, they don't really want to talk about it because definitely our redfish population numbers are down. You know, our smaller fish population is down. Our bull red population is down. And so, you know, people don't want to talk about that because they feel like, oh, man, if Dave, if you talk too much about this, people are going to quit coming. And I was like, you know what, fellas, if we don't do something, people are going to quit coming anyway, because in the future, it's not going to be as good as it's been. And I've seen a decline. You know, I moved here in 2004. So I've been here about 20 years. You know, I moved down here to go back to school. Uh, That's a whole nother rabbit hole to go down. But, you know, (laughs) I moved down here to go to school, got a job at the fly shop, uh, worked there for quite a while off and on and eventually managed managed the fly shop. And I got my captain's license while I was at the fly shop to start doing a few trips where people would come in and everybody be booked. But that, that's a whole nother story. I came down here to, to actually be trained as a pastor. And so I tell everybody I have a master's degree from the seminary, but now I'm just a fishing guide. But, you know, that's it's uh, that kind of all plays into the whole conservation. I feel like that we do uh, have a, a job to take care of the, um, the resource we've been given. And so that's what me – uh, you know, myself, along with a lot of other people, uh, you know, Captain Ty Hibbs and Captain Shane Mayfield, who's doing the Redfish podcast with me. You know, we're just kind of like we don't want anything out of it other than a better fishery. And so we definitely have been I've learned a lot about the, um, you know, stock assessment of redfish and the way they, you know, a little bit more about the reproduction process, you know, how the cycle of that. Uh, but, yeah, we've been going to Baton Rouge and going to the uh, Wildlife and Fisheries Commission meetings talking to those guys because it's it's a whole process, you know, where they have to make a, a notice of intent of see things that the, the biologists have done studies and say, you know, yeah, we need to change some things because our numbers are down. Well, then, you know, it opens up a whole nother barrel of worms because, you know, certain guides don't want anything to change because they're afraid if you lower the limits, which is what we're shooting for. If you lower the limits, they feel like people are going to quit coming. If you can't fill up coolers and we're like, look, dude, you know, we fish people every day that never keep a single fish. You know, they come down, they want to catch bull reds or just, you know, redfish, sight fishing, take a picture, kind of grip and grin, or maybe not even take a picture and just get that thing back in the water and just 
you know, put that memory in your memory banks and have it there and, and just enjoy the fishery. But yes, our numbers are down. And so uh, the, the most recent notice of intent that's been made, uh, the Wildlife Commission and Fisheries Commission made a recommendation that we change the slot limit uh, from a 16 minimum to a 27 maximum, that 16 to 27 to a 18 to 24, which really tightens the slot up. And then also, like right now, you can keep five redfish per person, which in my opinion is way too much. Um, you know, moving it from five down to three. So you have that whole controversy of now you have what was a pretty wide, you know, had a, you know, now, right now you have a pretty wide slot, 16 to 27 inches. Well, they want to tighten that up. And there's a whole, um, you know, set of, of metrics that they look at when you're trying to decide, you know, okay, if we look, if we keep 16 to 24 inch fish, then how many of those do we have to let go? How many can we keep? And like, you know, basically what they had come out with the first recommendation was like an 18 inch uh, to a uh, 26 inch keeping four fish. Well, it was going to take 39 years for our fishery to get back to where kind of the minimum number that they want of reproduction taking place. And it was like, whoa, 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 this is not going to be 39 years. Like if you, what if you have, you know, high river for, you know, two or three years, you have two or three hurricanes and, you know, right. you already have, there's, there's a lot of stuff. I Like I said, I don't want to talk too long about this, but if anybody wants to call me and know more about it, I'm big. I'll talk as long as you will and sit there and listen. Uh, we're just trying to get the word out. We've been working with a group out of the Northeast called the uh, America Saltwater Guide Association who've been battling for stripers in the Northeast. They're like, look, guys, we want to help y'all. There's no sense in reinventing the wheel. We've already written letters to our, you know, our congressman. And, and basically we can just tell y'all what you need to do, help you figure out your numbers and say, and so they're really Tony and those guys at ASGA, um, as well as the the biologists in the uh, the Game and Fish Commission and all the people in the fisheries division at the uh, Louisiana uh, Department of Wildlife and Fisheries. They, they're just, they're great people. All they want is, um, you know, a better fishery. So yeah, we're definitely fighting for that. We got a big meeting coming up on October the 5th. I don't know, I know, I don't know exactly when this is going to come out, but we're trying to get some more signatures on a letter, the ASGA. Um, and so even if this comes out after that meeting has taken place. I think there's going to be a big meeting that will have to, it's like a, they have oversight committees and, uh, and so it has to, uh, they have to have meetings and somewhere they give, they gave us a number, a date of somewhere around December the 20th. So definitely if this comes out in October, we definitely probably still gonna need some signatures. So please look for any information on my Instagram, the Southern fly. Uh, maybe I can get David to post it on yep. Southeastern, you know, and, and, and whatever else, and, you know, we'll, we'll need all the help we can get. But so, yeah. So the the folks that you're you're talking about, and I, I'll say it. I don't I don't mind saying it. I don't I don't go down there to eat the fish. The folks that you're <laughs> the folks right. that you're talking about are the folks that go down there and they want to bring some fish home. Which, yeah, they want to fill a cooler up. Yeah, yeah, totally get it. I totally understand wanting to bring some home. There's two things I've never done, Dave. One, I've never eaten redfish. Never have. Right. Everybody says it's great, and <laughs> it I've never good. I've never worn a pair of Crocs either. So that's the two <laughs> things I don't think I've ever done, but I mean, the fish, the fish that we eat down there is not redfish, but it, let me assure you, it's fantastic. Yeah. But sure. backing down from, from five to three seems like, you know, okay, that's a good idea. Uh, but I'm not the one trying to keep fish to bring home to feed right. my family at the barbecue or whatever I'm doing with them. Uh, so it's, it's kind of two competing things and all the, the biologists, all those folks that are, Let's let's just say in charge. Let's just let's just say that they're in charge. Yeah. Uh that w that we've elected or have been appointed or whatever. They're trying to balance that, you know, because sure, absolutely. Yeah. Because the people that eat fish are just like us. They pay their pay their fees, they pay their license. They do all that stuff just like we do. So mm -hmm. they're trying to make a balance. But it sounds like you've got um an idea of how long it'll take to build back up to whatever that magical level is that hopefully makes everybody happy. But I think your first, one of the first things that you said was people that some of the guys are saying people won't come because they can't keep a bunch of fish. Well, I can assure you they're not going to come if they're not down there. <laughs> and I'm not going to come yeah. back if there's no fishing down there. Absolutely. I get it. Yeah. No, that's why not. we're fighting. That's why we're fighting so hard for it. It's like, you know, I'm not opposed to keeping a redfish for dinner. Like I know yeah. some people think, well, he's a fishing, fly fishing guide. 
you know, and even sometimes in these meetings, they're like, don't say you're a fly fishing guy because it looks like you're pitting, you know, the fly fishing guys against the conventional guys. I'm like, look, it's, it's got to be a give, give all the way around. Yeah. And I will tell you the the wildlife commission guys, they have been over backwards with everything trying to, you know, and, and they want to know when we have gone and we spoke at those meetings. They're like, okay, what would you, what do you think would be a good slot? Like what slot size, what, what would you recommend? So they did, you know, they did all these questionnaires and surveys and we filled all those things out. And and sometimes you want to think, man, there's really not a great option to pick. Well, you have to pick the best of what they gave you. But then you have to, it's like anything. You have to be the squeaky wheel sometimes. You have to go, you know, take a day off of work. It's going to cost you a day pay to go to that meeting on the first Thursday of every month. And, you know, it's going to, if you have trips scheduled, you got to take off, you know, it's costing you a day's pay. You got to travel to Baton Rouge, but like it's got to be done. But I will say those guys, have, if they want to know public opinion, and that's part of like, we want to, we want to hear what people are saying, what they think, because we do, you know, realize that we're working for the people and we want to hear the opinion, but like, uh, you know, you do have to look at the science and, and a lot of people only want to look at the science when it benefits them. And they're just afraid. Uh, and I will admit like the, the new notice of intent, they've made it really did tighten the slot up, you know, 18 to 24, it's only six inches, you know, that you have to go. And I don't know if that'll pass. We hope that it will. Uh, but I definitely think there's going to be some changes made. Um, and so I've tried to go out of my way to like talk to more of the the conventional guys and say, hey, man, I'm Dave, you know, you know, just you know, what do you think about the new NOI, the notice of intent? What do you think about it? And sometimes that's a scary question to ask because you don't know if they're going to blow their top about it. And so I've kind of got a mixed bag of like, you know, responses when I ask. But just, you know, for me, it really boils down to, you know, my boys are 11 and 15. And they've grown up the past few years, you know, fishing here. And they look at me and they're like, dad, you know, we, we still have some good fishing days, but like, what happened to this place? Mm. You know, we used to go and see lots of fish every day. And now you have days that you see a good bit of fish and the days that you don't see a lot of fish. And I know that's just fishing, but when you do it as much as we do, um, you know, you can tell the numbers are down. And, uh, um, and so basically the new NOI, notice of intent, uh, basically took it from 39 year recovery with a 30% reduction in the, what we're keeping. They bumped it up and said, Hey, why don't we do 18 to 24, only three fish. And that puts us hopefully having the fishery to recover in around 10 years, which is still a long time, but 10 years is better than 40 years, you know? Um, so we felt like, and, and that's going to put us in like a 50 to 55% reduction in the amount of fish that we're keeping, you know, and you have other things like there's a pogey fishery here, um, who they they net bait fish yeah. and they with you know use them for omega oils and I realize it takes you know every you know people have those jobs and, and I get and we have a lot of other issues going on subsidence and um, loss of land we have you know bow fishing that's in a whole nother thing that we could talk for two hours about and you know there's just a lot of things that we're battling you know but nobody wants to be told that they can't do that anymore or whatever so it's just it's got to be a give give but you're gonna have to fight for some stuff so well I'm glad y'all are doing that. Because in 39 years, I probably won't be casting a fly rod. <laughs> but yeah, in right. 10 years, I will be, hopefully, yeah, if everything, sure. you know, God willing, all that. But yeah, I don't uh, I don't see me doing that in, in almost 40 years. I just it's not mm-hmm. probably not gonna happen. But 10 years, right. I I think I think I can stomach. You 10. hope you are, yeah. 10 years, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so let's get back to the fishing just a little bit. So we asked this question to everybody, uh, and I wanna I wanna I want to swerve back into fishing techniques, that sort of thing. But this is a question we ask of every one of our guests, because sometimes I just don't think of the questions and you and I talked and maybe we, we missed a question and maybe you were out standing on the polling platform, pushing that skiff around. (laughs) You thought, you know what, what's the heck David would have, we would have talked about this, but what's the one question that we didn't ask uh, about fishing for redfish in Louisiana in the marsh? Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I, I read the uh, kind of the notes and stuff we had made, and I think people ask me a lot of times, you know, what should I bring? And that could be a lot of different things. But what I tell a lot of people is bring a good cast. Mm. Like it doesn't have to be super long, but it needs to be accurate and quick. You know. And so I think about that. Like sometimes, if you may not get a lot of shots during the during the day at fish. You know, there's a lot of things you should bring, you know, lightweight clothes, layers, sunscreen hats, polarized glasses with amber, rose or copper lenses. Yeah. Bring those. Yeah. Um, good idea. But uh, but <laughs> yeah, people say, what, what should I bring? And I was like, look, man, 
bring a good attitude and bring a and a bring a good cast. Like you don't have to cast 80 feet and lay it on a pie plate, but you need to be able to cast. Give me 30 feet this accurate and like in a hula hoop, I can work with that. Like give me 30 feet hula hoop. Like and sometimes you're like, okay, dude, how do I make a two foot cast with a nine foot rod? Like they're right beside the boat. Right. So it's be it's being ready. You know, even if you're having, you know, maybe one of the questions would be like, how can I be successful? Like, what should I bring? You know, you know, enduring the day. It has the slow day. Like, don't don't get don't get sucker punched. Don't get lulled into sleep. You know, sometimes if the morning's slow, then you know you might get that window at the end of the day. So I don't know if that really is a question someone should ask. But I think, yeah, what should I bring? Bring a good cast. Bring a good attitude. And like, just take in everything around you. If it's a tough fishing day, like, hopefully we'll see some cool stuff along the way. And uh, hopefully we'll catch a lot of fish as well. But, but yeah, just bring a, a good cast and a good attitude. You know, that, that's uh, the cast. You talk about the two-foot cast. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and some of this has to do with them. The, the, these fish just appear sometimes. I swear they're like. Oh, yeah. They just run up beside the boat and stop, you know. Or, it's like they come out of the mud. Like, where did that yeah, fish come from? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know how many times I've heard somebody say, it's right back here. Uh, so if you yeah, use the, oh yeah. the if you use the point of the boat is twelve o'clock, sometimes you'll hear four o'clock right off the tip yeah. of the rod. You know, like you, I was just fixed to put the pole the the push pole down in the mud to push us, and it was sitting there. Yeah. So, it, be ready just to do a, a quick flip over your shoulder, kind of. It's not a sixty foot cast. It's not an eighty foot right. cast. It's it's not bonefish. Mm-hmm. Often it's a twenty foot cast, thirty foot cast, right off the yeah. rod tip. You know, be ready to, I like to, whenever, I, whenever I'm standing up front, I like to point my rod where I'm looking. Yeah. You know, just just so I can, not. that's not only for the guide to say, all right, I see where he's looking, so, you mm-hmm. know, we're going to point yeah, him over yeah. this way or whatever. It's also to keep me focused, you know, so sure. I'm looking off the yeah. point of the rod down at the bottom, and I'm seeing shells and, and small mm-hmm. fish and not red fish and skates and, and all kinds of stuff. and you know, I, but I'm I'm trying to keep myself in the game as much as I can. You know sure. how you hold the line. I think if people would go back and listen to the, we did a tarpon podcast a couple of years ago uh, with a, with a man named Don, and and Don really got into here's how you hold the line uh, when mm-hmm. you're waiting. You know, when you're getting ready to make a cast, oh, how yeah. you hold the line in your hand and how you hold that rod. You know, that's there's a lot to that because like you go back to what you were talking about. On your, you're using a, a redfish line that's that'll get the fly going quick. You know, you 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 know it's sure. fatter on the end. You want to get it going quick. You want a quick delivery that's accurate. Is what I is what I keep telling mm-hmm. myself. You know, a quick delivery that you know there he is. Okay, twenty feet. Okay, boom. I should be able to do that relatively quick. You know, spot spot. Yeah, the like fish. one. Yeah, like one false cast back and boom down. Yeah, right. line maintenance. There's so many things to go into, and I think I don't. You know, I forget some of these things that we're talking. But yeah, line maintenance, like knowing where your line is. I tell people all the time, like when they're fishing with me, okay, pull out a rod length of fly line, not counting the leader, and you want a rod length of fly line out of your rod tip. Hold the fly by the tail, and be ready to flick it back and slam it down. And mm-hmm. so, and like you say, and some I do try to give you like a clock position and a distance. But some I say, look, if I say over here or back left over here. And I don't give you a clock. I said, look back here at me and see where I'm pointing with the push pole. Because if I say hard left, you know, eight o'clock, like right here. And they're like, where's right here? I'm like, look back here. You got to look back here. I don't know if it's eight or seven o'clock, whatever it is. Back here. I'm pointing at the fish. Put it right there. So, you know, it's just kind of working with your client, you know, getting that lingo down first thing in the day. And, you know, and a lot of that is myself. Like, remember to be very clear, concise, as I'm telling my guy, my guys that are fishing or my ladies, whatever. Um, hey, this I won't try to call you a, a clock position in a distance, but if I say, hey, hard left over here, look back here, you're gonna have to look back here because I don't know what to call that. Right. Because <laughs> once I lock in on a once I lock in on a fish, I'm not gonna pull my eyes off of it to see where your rod's pointing because I'll lose the fish. Yeah, possibly. right. Is it, it it amazes me you can point a rod a, a push pole right at them, like right on top yeah. of them, and they'll still yeah. sit there and get caught. Oh yeah, for sure. And I don't know, maybe they, I guess they're probably looking down more than like a trout's always looking up for something to get it i think but i think these redfish are looking down for something to eat and they don't pay much attention to what's on top of them but yeah that's that's probably the biggest thing is try to keep you for me this is for david this isn't necessarily Mm -hmm. 
to answer your question, but I had to keep my mind in the game. And whenever I start wandering, it's always good to fish with somebody else and let them stand up there and yeah, and have their turn, you know? Yeah, because if you wander, you, you'll you get sucker punched, man. You'll oh, get you sucker punched, you know, and it, it happens all the time. It's hurtful. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, might, it probably hurts everybody's feelings a little bit. Yeah, yeah it, for sure. Yeah, oh, yeah. gets feelings yeah. hurt. That's a fact. So. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think we so we've covered all of the all of the seasons. We've covered uh, what y'all are doing on the Redfish podcast and and with the uh, with the the folks that are trying to improve the fishery. Uh, and then we we've got an answer to your last question there. The uh, what, what is usually my favorite question, but uh, we say we close the show down. Sounds good, man. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on here. And- kind of share part of, you know, what I do, who I am. And also mainly for me is like this, this redfish stock assessment that we looked at. And then we're working with the game and fish and ASGA and all those guys to try to get some regulations changed. And um, yeah, please, if you get this, you hear this podcast, you know, look up ASGA, call me. My, so the Southern fly, look, look for my phone number. I'll be glad to update you on what's going on. David can get in touch with me, but yeah, we, we need more help than, than just the ones that are here in Louisiana that know what's going on. Um, but yeah, the clients want to know about that. They want to know about what conservation efforts are taking place, but yeah, really appreciate the opportunity to come on and share a little bit of who I am, what I do. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to fishing with you and you in the future. And hopefully it'll be sooner than later. Yeah. I think it's going to be sooner rather than later the way this, uh, yeah. <laughs> next year sh- shape it up, hopefully. So there you go. Share the podcast with your friends and your fishing partners. Subscribe or follow so you'll be the first to know when an episode drops. If you find value in the podcast and you want to support the work we do on these episodes, we'd appreciate you dropping by the Southeastern Fly store at southeasternfly.com and uh, just make a purchase of a hat or a T-shirt. So who was our guest on the Southeastern Fly? Uh, He's a full-time guide in southern Louisiana. He pulls a skiff through all kinds of weather. He knows the marsh. I found that out myself. I know that for a fact. I fish with him for redfish and black drum. He's easygoing, has, like I said, a ton of knowledge. He's a co-host for the Redfish Podcast. Check that out. You can find him and book him at thesouthernfly.com. Captain Dave Best, thanks for stopping by. Absolutely. Thanks, David. I really appreciate it. You just listened to Captain Dave Best on Southeastern Fly Podcast. See you next time.